Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I am so glad for the next couple hours, especially if we can be together, because I'm looking forward to both of my guests. Dr. Bob Mueller is my first guest. You know, if you've opened the paper or looked on the internet nowadays, you're going to see a tremendous amount of information uh, on narcissism. And I think a lot of it has to do with social media and other social media platforms And it is getting to be quite a concern and problem. Now, today on the show, Bob is going to talk to us about that. And and he said, the question is, am I addicted to myself? And that's what we're going to find out about. Bob uh, Mueller is a marriage counselor and all-around awesome guy. And every time he's on the show, I learn so much. He, He has written a book called Six Hearts of Intimacy, Enjoy Deeper Love and Passion in Marriage. He wrote that with his wife, Cheryl who he married uh, roughly June 16th, 1979. So he's coming up on another anniversary. Bob, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Bill. It's great to be back. Yeah. And you've got a, a another anniversary coming up with Cheryl. And as you continue your powerful ministry of helping uh, heal uh, people from difficult marriages, I know that narcissism comes up as one of the big problems in relationships. Uh, it certainly does. And... Maybe that term is thrown around a little too loosely today as it's gotten more popular, but the essence of narcissism is a self-focus where the world is about me and I lack empathy for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, their wounds, their hurts don't matter much to me. What matters is me. You know, the old saying, enough about me, let's talk about me. <laughs> um, yeah. in, in a way, that's... Um, all of us struggle with self-focus to one degree or another, but narcissism kind of takes it, you know, to a, a brand new level where, um, oh goodness, they have a, a strong sense of self-importance, maybe fantasies about fame or glory, exaggerating self-abilities, craving admiration, exploiting others, but wow. most of them lacking empathy. Yeah. So because that, term gets thrown out kind of loosely, oh, he's such a narcissist, or that person's such a narcissist, let's maybe do a working definition of what a narcissist truly is. I know there's nine uh, characteristics of narcissism, and I think you have to meet, what, five or six of them to be considered a narcissist? Well, let me give you some of that list, yes. Um, It is a self-absorbed, arrogant, self-centered person. Uh, basically things must go their way. Uh, They're unsympathetic. They lack empathy. Other needs are not valued or cared about, or they just disregard your feelings. Uh, Number three, they're controlling, manipulating, intimidating. They often use demands, commands, and orders. Uh, Number four, they employ anger and rage uh, to get people to comply. Uh, They're critical of others. They're resistant to criticism, can't be confronted. I can't be wrong. Any problems 
are your fault. Uh, often spouse and children are not good enough. They're critical of their children or they're critical of their husband or wife to their children, but nobody's quite good enough. And the silent treatment. They refuse to talk to you if you don't agree. Uh, more to the point, they'll end relationships with those who disagree or will not be controlled. So if you see yourself, maybe five, four, five, six of those, there could be an issue. Yeah. Well, that list you just went through is uh, pretty, pretty hard to listen to. The person you described is not a person that would, you'd want to spend a lot of time with. No, in fact, um, you know, <laughs> I heard one author or one commentator say that with, with narcissists, there's always a growing body count. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, that, but boy, is that a sorry comment. Yeah. In other words, they leave behind them broken relationships, wounded people, uh, not a dangling participle, but a, a, a dangling participation maybe where mm -hmm. they're just withdrawing because you upset them. They often tend to have a real desire to litigate the past. In other words, past grievances, past wrongs, past injustices, they can't let go of them. Um, and they'll go back to them over and over again. Um, and so they want to relitigate the past. And then often with that, Bill, is a certain contempt for people. Maybe people that have offended them or hurt them or disappointed them. Narcissists tend to be at their worst when they're disappointed or stressed. When life is disappointed or people have or they're really stressed out, that's when things can turn ugly. Uh, prior to that, they can be rather charming. Mm -hmm. uh, they can be um, the kind of the uh, the person who, well, one phrase I heard is they love bomb others to Ooh. begin with. What does that they, mean, Bob? What does love bomb lo mean? Love bombing, they just pour it on. Okay. How great you are, gifts, invitations, um, wanting to spend time. Uh, you're the best. I've never known anyone so wonderful as you. You know, let's let's do this together. Or let's do that. Um, they're showered with. They'll shower other people with compliments, maybe even flattery. It's called love bombing. Okay, but when <laughs> only things, later. Yeah, go ahead. But when things don't go their way, then there's going to be trouble. Oh, things turn on a dime. <laughs> uh, they become nasty. They become demanding. Um, entitlement is one of the giveaways of a narcissist. They feel that other people in life in general owes them something. So they can be very demanding. That's where after you've been love bombed and you kind of buy into the relationship, now all of a sudden you're doing a lot more of the giving and they're taking doing a lot more of the taking. Mm -hmm. So the anger and the rage, that's a big red flag. And if you see that uh, in any kind of relationship, you're going to want to be very, very careful about how involved you get. Yeah, another term we use for that is turbocharging, which is if you upset me, I'm going to use anger, control, unrealistic expectations to get you to back off or to submit. And I think we all know people that can be fairly reasonable until you cross them, but then all of a sudden, it's maybe win at any cost. Mm -hmm. 
And with that comes anger and rage and uh, control, because most people will back away, will back down, if you will, when confronted with turbocharging. Mm-hmm. And so spouses sometimes are trapped in a marriage where if they cross their spouse, they get turbocharged. Wow. And they learn after a while, no, you don't do that. Mm-hmm. People say that. You know, I remember even as a like fifth grader, sixth grader, I grew up in the Minneapolis area and a friend of mine from school took me to a twins game. And the dad took us and it's my friend in sixth grade, a younger brother who might have been more towards six or seven, quite a bit younger. And we were leaving the game. The game was over. And we were walking up the steps toward the exit. And somehow the little kid had slipped away, you know, just momentarily. Yeah. And I don't know where he was, but with the people leaving, you couldn't quite see him. The father came up to his son and me with rage in his eyes and in his face, not just worry, but rage and screamed, where is he? You were supposed to be looking after him. This is your fault. And I remember at the time, like being shaken, the guy was so, you know, uh, bent out of shape. Classic narcissist. Mm-hmm. Uh, classical, I should say, narcissistic behavior, which is if something goes wrong, you must find someone to blame. And you must uh, deal a heavy dose of shame, uh, of anger and rage. You must make them feel worthless for mission to be accomplished. And I think it's very sad to be in a relationship, friendship, working in an office, maybe a church setting. I've known some who say they are Christians who have behaved that way. Um, they turbocharge other people. But, you know, it's interesting, Bill, underneath it, someone observed that a great number of narcissists were overindulged as children and undernourished or undernurtured, I should say. Overindulged, undernurtured. In other words, they got their way. They were allowed to do this. They were told they were special, whatever, but they weren't really loved. They really weren't cared for. Mm -hmm. And they grow up with this desire for validation, which is all consuming. You can't understand a narcissist unless you know their number one goal in life is to be validated. And they will do anything, including changing reality, uh, in order to be so. Well, Dr. Bob Moeller is my guest. We're talking about narcissism. And the question is, am I addicted to myself? We're going to continue our discussion. If you have a question or comment for Bob, let me know what it is. You can text it over 877-933-2484. Already have one in Bob. It says, "Wow, it's like Bob has been living in my house." So, <laughs> we're going to take a short break and be right back with Dr. Bob Moeller. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com.
Welcome back to the show. Dr. Bob Moeller is my guest. We're talking about narcissism today. And we defined narcissism as someone self-absorbed, unsympathetic, controlling, manipulating, full of anger and rage, critical of others, uh, your spouse, your kids, they're never good enough. And then you give the silent treatment if, and you refuse to talk if you don't agree. And boy, that ends relationship in a fast way. All right, Bob. Now I want to talk a little bit about silent treatment because what's the upside to that if you're choosing not to communicate when communication needs to happen? Well, silent treatment is really a form of manipulation in which now um, you are in essence withdrawing um, your availability to resolve this issue. Um, You are punishing the other person for their transgressions. You are devaluing them by refusing to respond to their words. It's as if they're invisible. And no matter what they ask, say or plead, um, because you have been wounded and no one wounds the king, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, you're not going to grant them access to you until they've repented. Wow. uh, Until they have become... Uh, submitted to you once again. Well, that's kind of icky. That's re- really icky. <laughs> well, it is. It's very unloving, yes. and it it's certainly is not uh, consistent at all with, say, Ephesians chapter 4, which you know tells us, um, just turn there for a moment, it says basically we're to get rid of some things in our lives. Um, let me read it to you. Uh, don't let the sun uh, go down on your anger while you're still angry, and don't let the devil uh, gain a foothold. Don't let any unwholesome talk come uh, out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs. Notice that's other focus, Mm -hmm. and it may benefit those who listen. And then it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in christ god forgave you so the narcissist goes no (laughs) no that list doesn't apply to me Mm -hmm. may apply to you you need to follow that but you're the one who makes mistakes yeah you're the one who creates tensions in this marriage Mm -hmm. you're the one who i'm sorry just um the problems are all yours Um, One of the things a narcissist cannot do, at least without the help of the Holy Spirit, is they cannot believe another person's reality. In other words, all of us have our own, I guess, sense of reality. and Hopefully, most of us are fairly in touch with reality day to day. But my reality might be different from yours based on my upbringing, the hurts I've experienced in life, the way I've been treated. And so my reality might not exactly match yours, but a narcissist isn't interested in understanding your reality. Now, I'm not saying it's your truth, my truth, that foolishness. No, there is truth and not truth, but I'm talking about the way people see the world. You know, if you were abused growing up, physically, verbally, sexually, you're going to be very sensitive Mm -hmm. to somebody who's invalidating you or appears to be devaluating you and that's your reality because you were devalued and you were devalued to the point of almost destruction 
So if your husband says something that may sound dismissive and you react to it, well, the husband could go, well, I'm sorry, that's such an overreaction and you're so way out of bounds and you have problems and you really need help, not me. You know, just very dismissive and condescending as opposed to saying, I know you have been hurt badly and I'm afraid I just contributed to that though I, I certainly did not want to. Can you tell me what I said or did that was so hurtful to you? And, and can you tell me how to say it in a way that wouldn't be hurtful to you mm. or, or do something? See, that, that's a loving response. It sure is. It's saying your reality has been shaped by your experience. And I care about that. Mm-hmm. I want to understand it. And I don't want to mock you or belittle you or judge you because of it. Instead, I want to care about you. Mm-hmm. Dr. Bob Muller is my guest. You can learn more about Bob at fourkeepsministries.com, F-O-R-K-E-E-P-S, ministries.com, fourkeepsministries.com. We're talking about narcissism today. I already have someone on the text line, Bob, wanting to know, is there a difference between how men behave versus women? Um, in, in, in classic narcissism, I don't believe there's a great deal of difference. I have known women narcissists who will shame, uh, feel entitled, will punish you for your transgressions, will use rage and anger. I, I do believe that men are perhaps more given to anger. Mm-hmm. One author I read said, if there's a weakness among women, it's complaining. If there's a weakness among men, it's anger. Okay. And I don't know if that's exactly true, but, you know, you you can see where someone would draw that conclusion. Mm -hmm. Women might be more prone to complaint. Uh, Men might be more prone to anger. But is there a real difference? At the end of the day, the lack of empathy, the sense of entitlement, the attempt to control, I think they usually go both ways. Mm-hmm. All right, Bob, let's talk about the narcissist. And I mean, is there hope? Is there, well, hope? Is there hope to change? <laughs> again, I am not a therapist or a licensed psychologist. I want to be very clear to listeners today. I'm a pastor. Uh, but I would say this: that in the pop, in the in the professional popular literature, from what I've studied, they say there's no hope. Oh, <laughs> Unfortunately, boy. I mean, I've talked to therapists who go, "No, don't even try. Um, no, not going to work." And you know, if you were to Google narcissist today, uh, and is there hope? It'd be interesting to see what would come up. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of articles, most would say no. I don't agree with that by the way. And one reason is perhaps one of the greatest Christians of all time was a certified card-carrying, full-blown, national anthem-singing narcissist, and that was the Apostle Paul. (laughs) Um, Just think about the Apostle Paul and his life before he met Jesus, okay? Yeah. Um, He was angry. He was controlling. Uh, He was filled with rage. 
he he saw everybody else as wrong in the world mm -hmm. and he's right uh he showed no mercy or empathy toward those he had arrested he admitted he had them put in prison he held the clothes of the people who stoned stephen to death and the bible says clearly he gave his approval if there was ever a man self-absorbed uh, if there was ever a man that lacked empathy if there was ever a man who turbocharged to the degree of actually taking the lives of others, it was the Apostle Paul. Now, I want listeners to consider this. The same man who did all those things also wrote the love chapter mm. in 1 Corinthians 13. The same man that Jesus had to knock to his knees on the road to Damascus uh because and say why are you persecuting me and the the thought had never dawned on paul that he could be wrong well who are you lord i mean what what's going on what am i doing here but then eventually of course uh he came to repentance um it was really an amazing story in fact just let me um read a very short portion of that um as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. I mean, this is so typical, if you will, of narcissists, is that they can't see anything about their, how they're acting. They can't see what they've been doing. They, they can't comprehend that they might have been wrong. And the only power in this world, I believe, that is strong enough, efficacious, to use a theological term, that can make it work, is the lord jesus but he turned paul completely around as i say into the man who wrote love is patient <laughs> kind <laughs> keeps no record of wrongs long suffering um this is the same man hmm. so yes i do believe there's hope but if i could put it in these terms it will take a damascus way experience okay that's really Helpful and really encouraging. And Bob, I, I have to say, I've not connected those dots before that Paul was possibly uh, a, a narcissist. And then he writes the chapter on love. So let me take a short break. We're talking to Dr. Bob Moeller. You can learn more about him at fourkeepsministries.com. And narcissism is our topic today. If you have a question or a comment, the text line is open 877-933-2484. And we'll be right back with Dr. Bob Moeller. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. 
I'm back with Dr. Bob Moeller, and today we're discussing narcissism, and there's a lot of interested people on the text line, Bob, that are very curious about um, what we're talking about, which is always good. And unfortunately, there's people that are expressing uh, being involved with narcissists, and of course, that's difficult to deal with. Um, A listener said a year ago, our daughter married a man that we feared at the time was a narcissist. He has not allowed her to come and visit us at our home. He's angry with us because we couldn't give him our blessing for marrying our daughter. The only way to have a relationship with him seems to be uh, to keep things very superficial and pretend. My husband doesn't think as Christians it's okay to pretend. I just want to maintain a relationship with our daughter. Yes, well, there's a lot of sadness and sorrow contained in that short paragraph. Um, In terms of what parents should do, Uh, We all have to have boundaries in life in terms of relationships that, you know, there's an old saying, good fences make good neighbors. And there is a sense in which if you have a narcissist for a son-in-law or daughter-in-law, for example, you may have to have some boundaries. For example, they can't go off in anger on you or something like that. That that can't happen twice. Um, If you have to limit your discussion to things that may even seem superficial, may seem at the moment small talk or trite. If that's the only bridge you have left, I would keep that bridge. I would not burn it. Um, You don't have to be disingenuous and you don't have to be a fake. You simply will treat your son-in-law as if he is someone that you've just recently met that you don't know well. Maybe just somebody you've, you've been introduced to in a group at a, at a church function or somewhere. You don't know him very well, so you're not presuming a level of social interaction or um, communication that's built on a deeper bond. Um, I know that may, that's disappointing because, hey, she's married to my daughter and will have my grandchildren i get that Mm -hmm. but there's often a difference between the social legal relationships that we have with people and the friendship or intimacy we have with them and if he's a narcissist probably he is going to want to control the agenda he's want to control the narrative in your family that may be frustrating but remember your daughter still needs you she still desperately needs your love, and no one's paying a bigger price for being involved with a narcissist than she is. You need to pray for her, and if there are children, for them as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, Dr. Bob Moeller. Let's go back to uh, what. how does narcissism, does it grow out of uh, a woundedness uh, in early life? There's often a traumatic element to this where... As a child, there's been, as I say, a basic lack of uh, love. There's been a basic lack of nurture. There may be traumatic events that have occurred. Um, As I said, most narcissists are seriously undernurtured to the point of deprivation. And so they spend the rest of their life nurturing themselves, (laughs) which... You know, I don't care how you want to twist that. It doesn't come out healthy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, to care for ourselves in a in a yeah, there's a certain level in which we have to care for ourselves. As uh, Paul says, we should care for our wives as we care for our own body. You know, there's a level of self care. But at that point, they are going to reconstruct reality. So they are an amazing person. They are gifted. They are loved. They are they are adored. They are the center of the universe. And all this is a, an attempt at self-validation because as a child, they felt so non-validated, so devalidated. Mm-hmm. And that triggers something in the human heart where you construct, we were talking about alternate realities. This is where they, they create their own reality, where they are everything uh, that anybody could want to be. And they're attempting to um, to create this world that wasn't there for them. And it will take, like the Apostle Paul, um, something like this. Let me Let me just read this one paragraph. Paul goes to Damascus. Ananias is sent there, placing his hands on Paul. Chapter 9, verse 17. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales from Saul's eyes fell off and he could see again. That, Bill, is what has to happen. Yeah, The scales have to fall off. Um, Narcissists are not born, they are made. And I think that's something we need to realize. They're not born, they're made. And so a combination of things what they did receive, like, for example, an overindulged child is overindulged because it makes the parent feel good. It isn't for the child's sake. It's mm-hmm. so the parent can feel good. And the child instinctively knows that, that you're doing this not because I really deserve this, but because it does something for you. And in a number of cases, parents have bonded in an unhealthy way with the child for their own needs. So they overindulge them, but they're not receiving true love. They're not receiving the real type of love that a parent should be offering a child, which is not indulgence and flattery and entitlement, but it's it's loving. Well, in um, first first Thessalonians chapter two, it says mothers should treat their children if they're dear to them, should share their very lives with them, should be gentle with them. It says fathers should be encouraging, comforting, urging them to live lives worthy of God. If you want wonderful descriptions of biblical parenthood, it's in the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians. See, that kind of love produces very healthy children. Mm-hmm. But a self-focused love, and I guess we're talking about a parent that may be narcissistic, does produce a narcissist, or can. Mm-hmm. Bob, is narcissism a possible side effect of an only child? You talked about overindulging. I think, well, if you have one child, there's a tendency that a child gets an inordinate amount of attention because there's no brothers and sisters. Right. I wouldn't say it's a one-for-one type of thing. Okay. Uh, I don't know that anyone's more at risk because of that. Yes, you have one child, but that doesn't mean you'll indulge them. It doesn't mean you'll flatter them. It doesn't mean what we used to call spoiling a child. Uh, I know many only children that are so healthy, wonderful, uh, giving people, 
And I know people raised in large families that are incredibly narcissistic. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that that it could be a obviously you could see a danger there. But I think it all has to do with, you know, the the spiritual and, and mental well-being of the parent as opposed to the number of children. Mm-hmm. All right. I got one more comment uh, and then I would like to move on to some things that narcissists can do to change because I want this to be a hopeful hour. Uh Listeners said, 14 months ago, my narcissist husband left home in turbocharged event. Three days later, he said that he was coming home, and I said no. He told our adult children that he left because I was having an affair, and now the children will not have a relationship with me, and that's an awfully sad situation as well. Well, again, they love to control the narrative, don't they? They sure do. And so the only way, um, they not only want to control what you think about them uh they want to control um what others think about you (laughs) so they're not content just controlling you they want to control what others think about you Mm -hmm. so in this case rather than admit that he had a rage and anger problem and was turbocharging he instead blame shifts and says well it's because your mother is unfaithful because she's a person of such uh, a low character wow and uh, sadly the children bought into that but i just want listeners to remember there's a god in heaven and he sits upon the throne and he observes the sons of men and he will not allow a lie to stand forever he will not allow things to go on you know the scripture says will not the judge of all the earth do right mm-hmm. and we have to have a confidence in that yeah you know in the short term people can get away with stuff like that but in the long term the truth comes out mm-hmm. the truth someone once says lies have short legs they can't travel very far that's so true and so in this case she needs to just simply commend this to god and say, Lord, you know the truth. You know what's going on here. In your time and in your way, um, reveal it. Mm-hmm. Until then, I will not retaliate. I will not return evil for evil to my husband. I will not even try and divide our children over this. Uh, David said, my salvation and honor belong to you, O Lord. And many a times in my life, and maybe you have done the same and our listeners, I've had to leave my reputation to God. Mm-hmm. And um, he is faithful God. And he says he will make the light dawn for the righteous and for the upright. And so we just have to wait till morning comes. Mm-hmm. So good. Dr. Bob Muller is my guest. We're talking about narcissism. And now I'm going to hopefully shift the conversation to something extremely positive, especially if you live with a narcissist. And that is 10 things narcissists can do to change. Bob, help us out with these. Well, yes, and I have to give credit where it's due. There is online a uh, a psychiatrist, psychologist, uh, a Dr. Romani, who had a video on 10 things narcissists can do. I don't know if she's a believer or not. I don't know what else she teaches, so I'm not um, authenticating or vouching for everything she might have said. However, I listened to this, and it all sounded very consistent with Scripture. Uh, to me, especially Philippians 2, which says, look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. 
you know, a very other focused person. Here's 10 things she said. Be mindful. In other words, number one, be self-aware all the time. Narcissists react when they're stressed or disappointed. So slow down. Now, if you think you're a narcissist or have those tendencies, pay attention to how you listen, speak, respond, how your words and actions may impact people in real time. Consider other people's feeling. Pause before you hit the send button on that email. I love that. You know, just before you send send, you know, the zinger, mm -hmm. whatever, stop and ask really what's going to be the result. Number two, eliminate the word but from your apologies. When you're apologizing, say, but you did this, but. Yeah, you know, it's not an apology. It's not an apology. It's a justification. Yeah. Get defensive and argumentative. Okay, number three, get help for your family issues. She says that depression, anxiety, anger, ADD, PDSD, and other things can all feed into narcissism. In other words, there's other things going on that might, remember, narcissists are not born, they're made. Mm -hmm. Some of these things can push you that direction. Number four, focus on gratitude. Uh, see other people and their contribution rather than taking them for gratitude, for granted, set entitlement aside. That's Number a big five, one. Yeah. Focus on meaning and purpose. She quotes Dr. Viktor Frankl, who said, suffering ceases to be suffering the moment it finds meaning. And um, she said that even if you're going through a hard time, if it has meaning, if you can find purpose, and of course, for the believer, even in our suffering, we find meaning if we're following the Lord Jesus and being faithful. Number six, learn to make amends in an authentic manner. You've hurt far more people than you know. Insults, invalidations, gaslighting, family ruptures, workplace issues. Um, learn to authentically make amends. As opposed to saying, well, I did this. Now, why don't you admit you did that? Um, instead, go back and say, um, I did it. I feel sorrow that I did it. With God's help, I won't do it again. Um, I want to make this right. Will you accept my apology? An authentic uh, amends. Number seven, create new responses in your life. Narcissists take out their disappointments on other people. And so instead of doing that, uh, don't personalize everything. If you need an outlet for your anger or for your distress, try prayer. <laughs> I'm adding that one. <laughs> I love that. Bob, let me take, take a, let me take a break at sure. this point because we need to uh, take a short step away. Dr. Bob Moeller is my guest, and we are talking about narcissism. If you just joined us and Right now, we are a 7 out of 10 of 10 things narcissists can do to change. So if you missed any of this, you're going to want to hear it from the beginning. We'll be right back with Dr. Bob Muller. You can learn more about him at 4keepsministries.com. Well, books take you on amazing adventures. Wouldn't it be interesting to see what the Holy Land might have looked like through the eyes of Jesus by winning... Max Lucado's new book, you can do that. It's called In the Footsteps of the Savior. Now, with a special thanks to Thomas Nelson Publishing, you can win a copy every day this month. All you have to do to enter to win on the Faith Radio app 
or go to myfaithradio.com. Personally, I'd rather win a a trip to the Holy Land. Um, I wouldn't have to go first class, but I, 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 I would prefer. But either way, I'd love to get my hands on a copy of this book, and I know you would too. So head over to Faith Radio, myfaithradio.com or the Faith Radio app. I am back with Dr. Bob Moeller. We're talking about narcissism today, and we're really at a nice point in, in the discussion where we're learning about things narcissists can do to change. So you have all of our attention, Bob, because people who are living with narcissists or maybe suspect they are one themselves would love to hear this information. Well, we were talking about creating new responses. Number seven, take a break, step away before you speak, count to 10, don't personalize things. In other words, just learn to respond differently than the way you typically do because typically it's shaming controlling raging turbocharging whatever manipulating um number eight take responsibility uh narcissists try and cover their tracks with denial and deceit good leaders good partners and spouses take responsibility uh they allow themselves to be accountable They take ownership for what they did to hurt people. Number nine, engage in self-compassion rather than self-promotion. What does that mean? Engage in self. Okay. Be kind to yourself. Be empathetic to your own hurts and wounds um, in a way that is not self-absorbed and self-pity, but recognizes, yes, I've been hurt. Okay. Um, Express sorrow, if you will. You know, articulate your sorrow over something that has happened. That's very healthy to do. Um, Jesus was a man of sorrows. He expressed sorrow and when he was hurt deeply about things. And that doesn't hurt anyone. Um, you know, self-promotion is just another way of, well, I'll make up for my hurts by getting more hits at my website, having more followers or likes, making more money than anyone else or sales. It's just, again, superficial ways of self-validation. Grow in mindfulness. Um, And that is, don't always ask yourself what happens next. One of the things narcissists do that propels them is they're always thinking about the next step. Uh, What can I get from this person? What will this decision do to advance me or my goals? As opposed to, Am I really aware of the people around me and the needs they have? Um, Can I read you something very quickly that John Wesley would write? It was called his covenant prayer. And just consider the, well, what we talk about here, true mindfulness toward the Lord. He prayed this, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you. Let me be laid aside for you. Laid aside, exalted for you, brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure 
and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. In the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. You know, that's really putting ourselves in the hands of God. Jesus is truly Lord, if we can pray that way. And that's so the opposite of me being Lord which is, uh, you know, obvious narcissism. Mm -hmm. um, instead of validating others, uh, I'll throw in a couple for free here. Instead of val invalidating uh, yourself, validate others. Give up on entitlement. Give up on arrogance. Let other people be in charge. Stop rage, impulsivity. Turn down the volume and anger. Um, instead of validating yourself, work on validating others. So, um that's the list. Those are things that you can do if you find you're struggling. And, you know, whether we are, think we may be narcissistic or not, that's an awfully good list for all of us. So true. Um, Dr. Bob Moeller is my guest, and we're talking about narcissism. And a question that came in, uh, are narcissists made by parents who are narcissists and so on and so on and so on? Can be. Okay. Can be. Often. It's a pattern of behavior that's inherited. Uh, th on the other hand, you can have, um, well, look at the prodigal son. Uh, he had a wonderful father, and he was a classic narcissist. <laughs> he mm -hmm. left home. He, uh, he was going to control his own life. He didn't care who he hurt. He didn't care about the disgrace. He didn't care about the people he left behind. None of that mattered except himself. Mm -hmm. But isn't that another wonderful example of the fact that narcissists can change? Yeah. Bob, do narcissists, narcissists just hang up the phone instead of saying goodbye? If, if things aren't going the way they like, they just hang up. Well, again, if control is your primary objective, that's an effective way to do it. Mm -hmm. Is I'm going to control this situation, and so I'll end it when I want to. Right, right. Another listener said, I know someone uh, like that, a good friend of mine, and he's not saved, but I still continue to be his friend and pray for him. Is there anything I can do to help him with that or just wait until he accepts the Lord? Well, I think you modeling other focused, other people focused behavior. I think you living out a lifestyle where Jesus truly is Lord in your life. I've heard many, many people brought to repentance by the example of others. Paul tells wives in 1 Peter Chapter three, you can win your husband over without words, you know, by the conduct of your life, you know, your reverence and purity. So, yes, you know, you can pray for his uh, or their their conversion, that the scales will fall off their lives, eyes, but also you can win them without words by the way in which you live your life in a, uh, a very other focused way. Mm hmm. What about saying you're sorry? If you never say you're sorry, might you tend to be a little narcissistic? Well, that's a classic trait. They never have to apologize because they're never wrong. So Ouch. Uh, they would actually feel they were being invalid to, <laughs> they feel they'd be disingenuous to apologize. But other times, um, people who were raised in an environment where they never heard apologies, only shame may believe that to admit you're partially wrong means you're entirely wrong, that everything about you is wrong. And those people sometimes struggle apologizing yeah, because but... to them, you're giving away the whole story. 
Ooh. But what? But what if you are wrong? <laughs> well, if you are wrong, you just simply need to admit it and uh, uh, say that you are sorry. Um, you know, I think. Well, let me put it this way. Many relationships that are in jeopardy today, particularly where there's narcissistic behavior, the question has to be answered. Are you more interested in caring about the pain of others or are you more upset with their sins? Um, in other words, one of the ways that we can get beyond our narcissism is to care about other people's pains rather than listing their faults in order alphabetically you know emphasize right that's good and that's what jesus did jesus did that he when he met the woman at the well when he met uh, uh zacchaeus and others he knew there was sin and can anyone say jesus was soft on sin really but he started with their pain and by caring about their pain first they saw their sin and you could argue zacchaeus was a narcissist in what he was doing, robbing his own people, uh, stealing from innocent families, widows, others, collecting money for himself. That's pretty hard-hearted. Yeah. And of course, at the well was very, her heart had become very calloused toward uh, immorality and wrong and whatever. But Jesus cared about their pain. Then he addressed their sin. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think that, that that's what we need to do. Yeah. Bob, it's always a delight to have you on the show. Thank you so much for dealing with this topic in such an artful way. I thought you did an amazing job, and I so appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. You bet. Dr. Bob Moeller has been my guest. You can learn more about him at 4keepsministries.com. After a short break, hour two is just ahead, and Dr. Peter Hill is going to talk about grace. Uh, You're not going to want to miss that. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.